For those who are new, <clears throat> for the past couple of months, our church has been going through a preaching series on the book of 1 Peter. Uh, it's called, as you can see up there, Exiles, How to Live for Jesus in a Hostile World. And last week, Pastor Riley uh, spoke on our responsibility to be subject to the rulers and authorities and government institutions for the Lord's sake. You know, we're meant to do this in worship for the Lord and to bring about a positive PR to his church and his people there. And we do it, all of this, we do this as free slaves, but slaves to God and in honour of him. And today... We're continuing on a similar vein. You know, what does Christianity look like if you're a servant or a slave, but now you're called to submit to your masters and perhaps your masters are unjust, harsh towards you? As Christians, what are you to do? Are you to submit to them? Well, before we get into the passage, why don't I read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18 to 25, which is the word today. 1 Peter chapter 2, 18 to 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Amen. Today, as by uh, introduction, I want to start off by reading a story I read in this book, Living the Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney. It's a great book. If you haven't read it, it's short. I think there's a few at the back in the bookstore. Um, please do grab one and read it. I think there are only $5, but if it's more, it's $5 today is the day to get it. <laughs> Sorry, Riley. It's what happens when you give too much power to an intern. But grab that book. It's a great book. But I want to read an excerpt from this book because it depicts exactly the point I want to make for our sermon today. And it goes like this. The first physician to die of AIDS in the United Kingdom was a young Christian who had, who had contracted the virus while doing medical research in Zimbabwe. In his final days, his powers of communication began to fail him. He struggled with increasing difficulty to express his thoughts to his wife. And on one occasion, his wife simply could not understand his message. So 
the young man took a notepad and with a faltering hand wrote the letter J. His wife ran through her mental dictionary, several words beginning with J, but none was right. Then she said to her husband, Jesus? That was the right word. Jesus was with them. That was all either of them needed to know because that's always enough. And I want to ask you today, friends, in the sufferings and difficulties in life or unjust treatment you may be going through or have gone through or will go through in the future, regardless of the outcome, can you also say, Jesus is always enough? Today I've titled my sermon, Is Jesus Enough? Question mark. And my hope is that through today's passage, we can all leave being reminded that Jesus is enough. And there's three points I want to make to uh, back that up. First one, the role of a Christian slave. Second point, the example for a Christian slave. And third, Jesus is always enough exclamation mark, which is different to our title, okay? So why don't we jump into our first point, the role of a Christian slave. Now, to give you a bit of context, when Peter speaks of servants, which is written in verse 18, uh, the actual Greek translation is slaves. Uh, But the reason why he wrote servants is because even if you look back in the past hundred years or so, the word slaves, it has a horrible, degrading connotation attached to it, doesn't it? And, you know, to be honest, we're probably viewing slaves in a worse way than it actually was during the time Peter was writing this letter. You see, these slaves that Peter talks about, they're actually skilled laborers often managers, overseas. They're trained professionals, like there were doctors, there were nurses, there were teachers, there were musicians. In fact, if you think about it, in many aspects, the everyday workers were just like you and me. In fact, theologian Wayne Grudem, this is what he wrote in one of the commentaries I read. He says this, the word employee, though not conveying the idea of absence of freedom, does reflect the economic status and skill level of these ancient slaves better than do either words servant or slave today. Now, even though many slaves were well-qualified, well-treated by their masters, nevertheless, there were some masters who did treat their slaves harshly. And because you are still classified as a slave, and this is where the word employee probably doesn't fit too well, because you were a slave, you had no legal right. Your master could beat you up. If you were caught running away, he could brand something on your forehead for running away. They could abuse you. And because you were a slave, you could not do anything. They owned you. And in today's text, Peter is specifically writing to those Christian slaves who were perhaps caught up with these unfortunate, crooked masters, who were perhaps physically mistreating them. 
perhaps dishonest in paying their wages, creating harsh working conditions, and perhaps also setting unrealistic expectations. And Peter writes to them, referring to them, saying this in verse 18, servants or slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Really? Really? Peter is calling these Christian slaves to respect and submit to the unjust masters? Really? Well, can I tell you a story? A story that might perhaps kick me out of pastoral ministry, but I'm going to say it because it, takes, uh, it makes uh, a point for my illustration, but don't tell Riley uh, about this illustration. Um, for those who don't know, I've got a son. His name's Lucas. He's eight years old. Um, and there's one question I've been asking him, not a lot, but on recent times I've been asking Lucas this question. And I say, go to Lucas. He's standing next to me. And I go, Lucas, if a bully was, you know, doing something to your youngest sister, Eleanor, who's in kindergarten, what do you do? If a bully's doing that to your sister, what do you do? Lucas, you know, he's very innocent. He says, oh, I don't, I don't know. Um, go, to, go and tell the teacher, right? Which is a good answer, right? But I said, no, <laughs> wrong answer. You go to the bully and you punch him in the face. <laughs> All right, don't tell Riley that. <laughs> Perhaps, you know, but to be honest, Aren't we all a bit like that in the sense that when someone does something wrong to you, your disposition is, I need to retaliate. I need to fight back. I can't just stand there and cop it. But Peter here in today's passage is saying, no. Even though your master is unjust, submit to them with all respect. You know, I remember reading this multiple times, thinking, man, asking, oh, how do I tell the congregation to do this when even I struggle with this? But God, he reminds us through the word that this is not the case. And in the commentaries, it highlights a point that enables this possible for us. You know, read that verse again. Can you see it, right? Well, to be honest, you probably can't see it because unless you know Greek and the Greek Bible in front of you, you have the Greek Bible in front of you, it's hard to find this. But what it says is, it says, be subject to your masters with all respect. You know the word with all respect? The literal Greek translation, it actually means with all fear, right? Now, let's quickly just Quickly go back to verse 17. We're in 18 right now, but let's just move quickly to verse 17 again. And this is what it says in verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. Fear God, it says. Peter says, fear God. And then in verse 18, he says, servants be subject to your masters with all fear. Fear to who? To God. He's saying, servants, Slaves, you can submit to your masters, but remember who your ultimate 
submission is to. It's a respect to God. He's saying you can respect your masters because your respect is for God and his sovereign control and providential ordering in the circumstances of your life. And just in case you didn't get it, Peter plainly says it again in verse 19. He says, for this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. You know, the fear of God, being mindful of Him, is having this reverent stance towards God, which motivates us to a right behaviour. It's rather than retaliating back even in the midst of unjust unjustice towards you because you know that he is the ultimate judge, because you know that he is the one that we need to fear and respect, we are able to submit to our earthly masters. The role of a Christian slave, and in fact this is all applicable for us too, is that in unjust moments in our lives where we've experienced personal perhaps slandering. You know, perhaps you've gone through moments where you were accused of things which you were not guilty for, perhaps in our workplaces with our superiors, or perhaps students with lecturers, perhaps in, even within the church, between the pastor and members of the church, or perhaps within the family as well, parents with grandparents. It says, submit. We are to submit but looking through first the lens of our true master God. Now, the second role of a Christian slave, but is applicable for all of us again, is that we submit because we want to please God. We want to please God. You know, I'm going to be really quick with this point, so read with me in verse 19 to 20. It says this, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, quick definition. The word gracious here in this passage is not the grace that we're all familiar with. It's not the undeserved, uh, it's not the unmerited, undeserved favour grace. The gracious here that Peter is talking about is commendable. It pleases, it finds favour. And so when we are called to submit to our masters, we do this knowing that we are going to receive commendation from God. We do this knowing that it pleases God. We do this knowing that it finds favour in Him and Him alone. So Peter is saying, you know what? If you've stuffed up, you've sinned and are beaten for it, you got what you deserve. There's no credit here for injuring. God doesn't delight in that you have sinned. But I think in the same line, if you were a slave, you did good and suffered unjustly. He's also saying, I think, you're not going to get commendation or favour if your reaction is to submit in fear or cowardice and so it's not, God's not even in the picture. You're actually doing this because you're just scared. 
or perhaps you're, you're submitting to him because there's an obligation to do it as a slave, but God is not even in your thought. If it's that, I don't think there's commendation that's going to come. But I think what Peter is saying is God's delight. His commendation will come when we submit because we are trying to honour God. We need to be mindful of God, trusting in the awareness of God's presence. It's a complete reliance on His grace and never-failing care, holding on to the fact that He's for us and not against us, a heart that looks to Him for strength, a heart that looks to Him for courage, a heart that looks to Him for hope to endure suffering patiently. That pleases Him. That finds favour in that will receive commendation from him. This is the key to righteous suffering. So to wrap up point one, the role of a Christian slave, but in fact, the role of all of us, when we receive unjust treatment and we suffer for it, our role is that we endure and submit to our superiors because our ultimate respect and submission is not to those masters, but to God. And it pleases Him when we endure with a heart to honour Him through it. Why do we do all this? Because Jesus is enough. Because He is enough. He is all we need. And so Peter, after telling the readers of what to do, he points them to the one that has achieved this, which is my second point, the example for a Christian slave. Now, uh, when I was in high school, which is a very, very long time ago, before the year 2000, which is really long, in my high school period at lunchtime, um, I loved playing basketball. Um, I don't know if you guys love basketball, but I loved basketball um, to the extent where I considered myself as the um, Asian Michael Jordan. And you guys are laughing, but there used to be people who used to call me the Asian Mike, and it's too bad you can't verify that fact. Uh, so you're going to have to take my word for it. But anyway, I loved basketball, and I really loved Michael Jordan. Um, and the thing I'm going to say next is probably something that's going to separate the young'uns and the oldies from this group. Um, but during my high school years, there was this uh, Gatorade commercial ad called Like Mike. Um, and basically, there was a background music where it went like this, Like Mike, if I could be like Mike, oh, I want to be like Mike. Like half of you guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The other half is like, what do you want about? But there was an ad uh, where that backing track was at the background. And then you'd see slight, like these moments of Michael Jordan flying in the air, doing dunks and double clutch shots. It was beautiful. And right at the end, you see Michael Jordan and he drinks his Gatorade, right? And I remember, I was thinking, I need those Michael Jordan shoes. <laughs> and I need some Gatorade then I can truly be like Mike, right? We try and imitate those who we really admire and respect. But coming back to our passage today, in the same way, Peter is instructing us and he's giving us the greatest example that we must follow in our suffering. Read with me from verse 21 to 23. It says this, For to this you have been called, 
Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now, before we read on, the words for to this is pointing back to the unjust suffering in which Christian slaves are to enjoy, endure. And the call is a reference to the call for obedience to God. It's a God-ordained moment that you're going through this. It's not a coincidence that you're going through this, but rather you were called to it. And now Peter is saying in this calling, he's the example that we are to follow. So if we keep reading in verse 22, the example of Christ, here we go. It says this, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What must be followed? Well, I think there's two things that he points out in this passage. (laughs) Number one is this. He committed no sin. No one on earth probably knew Jesus as well as Peter did. In Jesus' three years of ministry on earth, Peter followed Christ. He saw most of Jesus' actions, his decisions, his miracles, his conversations. And Peter, he reminds us, and he's probably, as he's reminding himself, is reminded that in Jesus' ministry, he committed no sin. Now, that's a hard act to follow. In fact, one that we can never achieve. But, friends, as born-again Christians in Christ, we are called to fight sin each day. Colossians 3 to 5, it says this, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. We are called to fight sin. We need to be in the business of killing sin. And Peter is reminding us, when the unjust master persecutes you, or when your inside is flaring up because of what he's done or she's done, perhaps with the intent for revenge, with the intent to retaliate or revile or threaten to sin, remember the example of Christ who committed no sin. Friends, we are born again, new in Christ. We have an inheritance that is unperishable, guaranteed for us right now. But presently, in our present battle right now, this battle is real. And we are to follow the example of Christ. Refrain from sinning. The second example I think is given us is this. He entrusted himself to the Father. You know what gave Jesus the strength to refrain from threatening and abusing those who mistreated him in his suffering? Because Jesus, he was mistreated. In fact, in Mark 14:65, in Jesus's, before Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, it says this: And some began to spit on him, to cover his face, and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And even when he was crucified on the cross, Mark 15, 29 to 32 says this, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, 
You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes, they mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Even in his unjust mistreatment, Jesus, he accepts the injustice without retaliating. In two instances in the Gospel of Mark, it's written in Mark 14, 61. But Jesus, he remained silent and made no answer. In Mark 15, 5, but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. You know, Jesus had the power to rain down fire. He could have sent 12 legions of angels down if he had called upon the Lord. He could have threatened and sought revenge, but Jesus, he was able to refrain. Why? Well, here's one reason why. Because he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You see, the word entrusted is an ongoing trust. It's not a one-self, God, I've given this matter to you, but it seems like you haven't done anything, so I'm going to take matters into my own hand. That's not it. But rather, this entrusted is a continual dependence. It's a continual handing over your suffering, handing over your accuser, handing over the pain that you're going through, handing over the whole situation over to him to God, who in the end will be the one who will vindicate his people and punish his enemies. We must put our trust in God again and again and again and again and again. Just like Christ did. Because you see, the one who retaliates, the one whose disposition is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is a natural response only to those who depend on themselves. I'll bring justice my own. But instead, we are called to entrust all things to God because the safest place for justice to be paid is in God's hands. It's not in my hands. It's not in yours. It's not in anyone's hands, but God's alone. That's the example we need to follow. Jesus' patience and calm suffering, not sinning, refraining from sin and entrusting it completely to God. Friends, we all live in a fallen world, don't we? And because of this, it's inevitable. We will suffer and probably for all of us, if you haven't already, you'll go through some sort of unjust suffering. So we must prepare Be ready, for it will come, or something else will come in your life again. And so Peter, he's equipping us today. He's telling us the best way, the only way we're going to endure through these sufferings and hardships is to follow the example of Christ. Why? Because he's enough. Jesus is enough. He's the only example we need to follow. That leads me to my last point. 
Jesus is always enough. And actually, I want to draw out my practical application from this point, and it's this. In your suffering, friends, set your mind on God. Remember who God is. Remember his character. Open up the word and find them. Now, let me run through a few Bible verses here to help you out. In your suffering, Exodus 34, verse 6 to 7, it says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin. In your suffering, remember Isaiah 30, 18, where it says, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. In your suffering, remember Psalms 23, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In your suffering, remember Isaiah 41.10. He says, fear not. This is his character. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is God's character. That's who he is. He was this from the beginning of time and he continues to be all that now for you, even in your present suffering. The only way we can endure till the end is if we keep looking at him who never changes. Instead of looking at us and our unfair, unjust circumstances we are in, look to him and set your mind on him. Be mindful of God. Read the Bible and find that about God. And you know, today in our text, Peter knows this very well. And so he reminds the suffering exiles of this character of God most greatly displayed to the exiles, to the Christian slaves. How has the Lord God been gracious and merciful? How did he show justice? How did he lead his sheep through green pastures and protect them from the valley of the shadow of death? How how did he strengthen them and help them and upheld them? In fact, how did he do all of this even for us here sitting today? Friends, he did it through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, who is enough. That's how he did it. In verse 24, it says this, He himself, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In our sinful state, He took on the dirt of our sins. 
and he bore it on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven. But also that through his death, he might empower his people to live in his righteousness. You see, the cleansing of our sins purchased through the death of Christ enables us to receive this freedom, a freedom to live in righteousness because we all were once slaves, weren't we? All of us slaves to sin, chained to sin. And this slavery has eternal consequences. It has eternal condemnation. Yet by his wounds on the cross, we have been healed. Chains broken away, free in Christ, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so that we might live in righteousness. And all of this, all of this for you, Jesus suffered unjustly. You know, the only way we can really truly understand the outcome, uh, really truly understand and overcome the unjust suffering we are encountering is to remember that God also allowed his son to suffer unjustly on the cross for you, for you and for me. This, friends, is the mystery and also beauty of the cross. This is the character of God most greatly displayed through Christ. And that is always enough for us. Or perhaps you're here visiting or exploring or trying to find out more about Jesus today. You're new here. Well, this promise can be for you too. You know, in the Bible, it says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in Christ because he's enough. Whoever puts their trust and hope in Jesus because he is enough, he promises also to bear your sins, your wrongdoings on the cross. He promises to heal you from your sinful state too, so that you too might live in Christ's righteousness. And friends, that's enough for you too. If this is new to you and these words have convicted your heart to respond today, then please don't leave without speaking to someone today about it. But for everyone else, and I'll close off here, for everyone else who are believers of Christ, Jesus is enough. Verse 25 ends by saying this, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter is saying, people, church, remember you have returned to your ultimate master, Jesus. It's not your masters or superiors within the household or workplace. It's not the government either, but it's Jesus the shepherd and overseer of your soul. He is your ultimate master and he laid down his life down for you so that you might follow in his example in your sufferings. Friends, Jesus is enough. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, you are gracious and merciful. 
abounding in steadfast love. Lord, we thank you that in our sin, which separated us from you, O Lord, we thank you that you loved, you first loved us, and you sent your son, Jesus. We thank you that in your suffering on the cross, Lord, you paid the price so that we might be reconciled back to you, O God. And O Lord, now that we are back with you, forgiven, Lord, even in the sufferings and unjust moments that we may be going through today, we thank you that because of your death on the cross, you have reconciled us back to you. And now, Lord, regardless of the injustice that we might be going through, Lord, help us to continue to look to you, O God, our true master. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We thank you that you work for the good of those who love you. And so, Lord, we commit it all to you and trust, entrust it all to you, O oh God, knowing that you are our greatest treasure in all of this. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.